Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. We have something special today, something that I am very passionate about, and that is marketing. And when I have a chance to talk to another very passionate and very accomplished marketer, there's just nothing better. And really looking forward to exploring in today's dynamic, competitive marketplace, especially for small, medium-sized businesses or startups that are on this growth track, there's nothing more important than making the right critical marketing decisions. And so we're going to explore what some of those uh, key trends and key directional decisions are really important today for SMBs and startups and, and just for marketing success. And we're going to discuss that with Anna Stella. She is the founder of marketing agency BBSA. Anna is also a multi-award winning marketing expert. She has more than 20 years of marketing experience in a number of countries. She's also a academic researcher. She's pursuing her doctorate in marketing. So she knows the topic of marketing. She started her career at Volkswagen AG in Germany. She's worked as a marketing consultant for a number of different clients. She's worked for the UK government and just has built this wealth of knowledge about what it takes to develop a successful marketing strategy and then put that into action. So let's get into it. Let's have this marketing discussion with Anna Stella. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Hi, Dan, and thank you so much for having me here today. It's an honor to talk to you about marketing today. So I, I want to go back. You have just it's interesting background and pursuit of marketing, both um, working with companies, but also academically. But what originally sparked your interest to pursue this path in marketing and, and then also take that in more of an entrepreneurial direction? Well, then, um, first of all, I have been a marketer for half of my life. So that's the starting point. And then, in a way, my path has always led to marketing. And even if, even when I was a child, um, the beautiful commercial and the clever marketing mesmerized me more than any children activity or any other TV program. And in a way, my love for advertising and marketing has never left me. And over time, it has grown into the passion that we share here today. I know you are very passionate about marketing too. Um, so in terms of my path um, into become a business owner, um, in my late 20s, I was so excited about being a marketing director and a manager that I really did ask myself, what if I could be the marketing director of hundreds of companies instead of just this one? And that's basically how my marketing agency started. And as you can tell, I really like the idea that I never looked back. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. You, you talk about being inspired by some of those classic uh, advertising, uh, maybe TV commercials. I think back to when I was a kid, and and there's still some that are still on my mind, and I haven't forgotten about them. And you're right. I mean, it just takes a hold of you. And when you achieve that kind of a connection, and then then to be able to then pursue a profession where you're helping other companies communicate and create that same marketing magic, that had to be really rewarding for you. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell that, right? Yes, it's really Absolutely. great. Yeah. Now, in becoming a business owner, I know we've talked to a lot of company founders on the podcast, and one of the most difficult things I've heard them say uh, in their role to to both found and then build and develop and grow a company, really difficult to uh, build a sustainable, healthy culture within that company. What has been important for you to make that happen at BBSA? Um, Well, then, I do echo that. I do echo the challenge um, because building the right company culture is absolutely hard work. And everyone talks about company culture, but in my experience, when this is left to kind of evolve organically, businesses are unlikely to succeed. And in my perspective, the challenge is that there is a no one size fits all approach when it comes to building the right company. So there is some kind of confusion around that. Also, every entrepreneur that you might have it here, will probably tell you that all they want at the end of the day is to hire, engage employees as they all agree that uh, employees and staff is the lifeblood of a company. And then so many studies show that team members that are passionate about what they do are more likely to come up with the new ideas and help company hitting its target a bit faster. And yet, unfortunately, studies after studies, they show that about 60% of the American workforce is made up of employees that for different reasons are not really engaged in their work. And these employees can really go and destroy the productivity, even in the most successful teams. And it's a shame, but we see that every day. So to your question about building a great culture that is sustainable, from my own perspective, to build a great company culture in a marketing agency where I am, um, what you need to do, you probably need to pay attention to three things. So the first one um, is about showing support. Um, And by that, I mean that creative work is never easy and leaders must appreciate the effort without pointing the fingers where things are not going, creatively speaking, in the right direction. The second thing I really wanted to share with you today is that 
the job of the leader is always to show the way. And not just one day, but literally every day. So leaders should not tell, but should show the team what matters in business every single day, every single This is really, in my perspective, probably the, the most important one. And finally, it might sound a bit cheesy, but it's really about giving back to people yeah. that help you build in the business. And I feel companies, including my agency probably, right, but should make an effort to notice and appreciate the hard work more often. And in a way also try to take better care of the employees, trying to be kinder, but also more generous to them at times. Yeah, I think that's probably sums it up, these three points. Yeah, yeah. what jumped out to me um, as you were talking about that foundation for culture, and, and you've probably heard the phrase lead by example. And I think that's the one that, you know, you said, look, as a leader, show the way, show the way through your own actions, right? Not just talk, but actually back that up, right? With, with real behavior that others can model. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I believe that's the job of the leader of the companies to go around and remind people about the values of the company and what they're doing there every day. And that's probably one of the most difficult things to do anyway, because this is about real motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in your academic pursuits, I know you've been really focused on this topic of outsourcing, which is, is really relevant when we think about SMBs or, or startups that maybe don't have all of the internal resources to get everything done they need to get done. And so, you know, this whole idea of what of finding great outsourcing partners. It's something you've done a lot of studying and, and put into practice. What do you feel are the keys to success for an outsourcing strategy? Well, first of all, historically, many industries have capitalized massively on outsourcing and this trend will only grow from here. For a very large amount of companies, Outsourcing is one of the most efficient ways or solutions to fast grow their niche. Also, it's a way to take this forward and build a brand and above all, doing things faster and therefore gaining a competitive advantage. However, despite its popularity, I always remind to clients that outsourcing is like a marriage between parts. Yeah. And the outsourcing adoption, it's still a learning curve for many, many companies. So to your point, I can give a couple of tips um, to help companies navigating outsourcing um, in the right way. So the first thing I, I like to say is that Company need to understand which type of outsourcing is right for them. So outsourcing is a big word, but it comes in the shape of form of outtasking, insourcing, backsourcing, co-sourcing. Then we have the strategic outsourcing, BPO, 
and also offshoring, let's not forget that. And, and really many companies are surprised that there isn't, there isn't just a single way of doing outsourcing. So what outsourcing means at its core, it's all about transferring work to an external providers. And this is why a company must first sit down and understand which type of outsourcing is right for them at that specific time, before even before going and talk to potentially suppliers. And this is where a lot of them get it wrong because it really needs to align the current need and company structure. Um, the second trends I see often um, is that companies, they base their hiring just on the price tag, very often, right? Um, now then, we all agree that saving money is great, right? Oh, yeah. But equally, yeah, <laughs> that's a given, <laughs> right? But equally, getting a low-quality agency that does only half of the job isn't really so good either, right? So hiring any outsourcing supplier or agency should and must be based on more than the price tag. And, and also, another thing that I keep saying, talking about pricing, companies should remember that one of common reasons why often outsourcing arrangements don't work or they don't meet expectations, it's because of the so-called hidden costs that come with engagement. And companies must factor in that there are always going to be extra costs than those listed in the contract. Another typical thing that I see, and I promise I won't mention many, but this is, I think, very important, especially for small companies. And um, it's really important to test the company, the supplier, the agency with a small project first. And a common drawback and risk for any company starting up uh, a new relationship, outsourcing arrangement or relationship is that they often start with huge projects that are way too big. They basically think like that. They think that now that they finally have the professionals working for them, now it's the time to pass them the full job and then that uh, it will get done like magic the next day. And we see that every day. And while a wiser approach should be or would be to begin with a smaller project, as this will give both your company and the supplier the chance to um, get to know each other and align both company processes and style of work before committing for the long term, right? Because as we said, it's a marriage. So you need to think really about what's happening next. Um, yes, and probably that's a good one to end. Um, it's probably to also remember that nothing lasts forever. And uh, by that, I mean, 
you need to start with the end in mind of the arrangement, um, which means that, uh, um, in a way, when that day comes, you part in amicable terms because, as I mentioned before, you really get to know a lot about the company processes. So you don't want the thing to become damaging for your company. And, and the final thing about closing the relationship, companies must also understand that when they outsource their function, they actually have access to an entire agency worth of expertise. And that this expertise might not get easily replaced in-house overnight without a proper transition phase. So this is why you need to make an effort to start thinking about the day you're going to part away. So things are very much lined up and correct. Yeah, there's some real compelling truths in, in what you were talking about there and the, the idea of let's really walk together before we start going on a sprint. So take it progressively. I really like that one. And I know there, there's an excitement with a new relationship, right? You've seen this probably many times, Anna, where, and, and so you just want to go as fast and hard as possible, like right out of the gate. But to your point, better to kind of do a build, right? Let's, let's prove this out. Let's figure out what's working, what's not working before you really go all in on it. I harder to do than to say, but um, I think that's really spot yeah. on. And then I, you're absolutely right. I know even from my own experience where so much effort and energy is in the original selection process around the partner, but that proactive contingency planning to foresee a day when maybe that relationship is going to end. I think human nature is not to want to go there, honestly, <laughs> you know, and think about that. But those that do are probably so ahead of the game because they've already kind of anticipated what that might be like. But uh, I just, I know that's a real challenge out there for businesses today to kind of make that leap and, and think that far ahead. Yeah, not easy, right? <laughs> not easy. Yeah. Yeah. So as marketers, you know, we're, we're dealing in this ever-changing world. We're now in 2023. Wow. Uh, incredible. So much going on out there. Are there a couple of key trends, especially as uh, digital starts playing an even more prominent role in how we market that marketers should just be aware of and, and take into consideration as they're setting their, their go-forward strategies? So definitely, right? So new year, new trends, right? So obviously there are a couple of trends I would like to recommend paying attention to. Well, the first one is really about outsourcing. A company are outsourcing more. And this is coming from the realization that it takes a village to do marketing and, and, and a lot of other business processes, and it's not easy. So this is definitely an option for more companies. The second big trend that uh, I believe uh, it's, um, it's really rising fast, it's a controversial one. And it's about influencers marketing because they are growing fast. And, and it is predicted that influencers marketing is set to boom this year. And brands are keeping investing it in it as they see value 
in appointing long-term brand ambassadors that can help them market their products, media and services. Um, it's a controversial one, but um, in line of principle, by working with influencers, your brand can sell more and potentially faster because you get to access the audiences of the influencer. And also, you can also probably forge a more, a more authentic connection with the target audience of the influencer faster. Um, the second trend, uh, it's uh, something we read about every day now. It's about artificial intelligence, so we can't really skip it, probably. Um, and when applied to marketing, uh, AI is truly expected to impact many industries in the coming years. Um, on top of that, data will become more affordable and accessible to all companies, even to small businesses. Um, in my way, marketers can, but not just can, they should invest fast in AI technologies, such as algos, mach ML, machine learning, and probably data modules, so they can really use the data gathered to target, optimize, personalize the customer experience and the advertising, if they're using advertising as a tool to generate new leads. The final one, it's, uh, it's a big one in the States because in a way, the States um, are behind Asia on that. And it's about the rise of social commerce. And social commerce is changing how people shop online. And it's, it's changing e-commerce um, like in, in, a, in a irreversible way. And by merging e-commerce and social media, social commerce is finally providing consumers with a one-stop shopping experience. And brands, I mean, this is the time to do that. Obviously, it won't apply to all businesses at this stage, but brands should make the most of this opportunity so they can really sell faster to their clients at this point in time. Yeah, some fascinating trends. Them, these oh, are yeah. The most, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, especially AI, and that's, we've talked to some different technologists here on the podcast and just how that's changing the capabilities, not only capabilities on the marketing side in terms of crafting what kind of message and package that you're actually delivering when you're trying to connect and create, but the other part of it, you know, that you mentioned just the available data that is out there to um, really uh, measure performance and engagement. And then how do you factor that into ongoing decision-making? So a lot to take in there. And of course, the other reality uh, as we're recognizing these trends and, and learning from these trends, we've been in the midst of this pandemic and that's had huge impact in terms of how organizations are structured, how people work within organizations, how we market, how we reach our audiences. From your perspective, how has the pandemic changed the dynamics of how business gets done? Well, um, 
the key thing about the pandemic, the pandemic didn't just change people, but um, it also changed companies, in my view, in an irreversible way. And I also believe, as you probably everyone would agree, that a lot of people became exhausted during the pandemic. And uh, I think it's no wonder that eventually many people hit the wall um, to the point that um, the great resignation phenomenon started, which is another challenge for companies. So to your question, um, I believe that the first lesson that companies learned from the pandemic um, was about uh, the importance of giving the people the right support so that they don't hit the wall. And another lesson to this is that this goes both ways. So it's not only the responsibility of the employer, which is clearly there, but in my view, it's done to both the companies, but also the employees to tell them when things are not going, when things don't feel right to them. And I believe that I quit the line um, line that we keep hearing from employees every day. Uh, and behind that, there are probably thousands missed opportunities that should have been addressed by both sides. Um, the second lesson that um, I think we learn, all, all entrepreneurs learn, but um, it's all about the renegotiation of the working contracts. And for example, in our agency at BBSA, we have been working with a remote outsourced business model for over 10 years now. And even at the time then when people were looking at us like madmen, right? (laughs) It was completely out of what was normal. Now, Now everyone gets us and this is probably when our experience in outsourcing and virtual world can come a bit handy. So what I learned and we learned as a team, um, as much as we like to think otherwise, remote work as it stands today, in my view, is not for everyone. Um, while people surely get and appreciate the flexibility Virtual work comes with long-term side effects that business owners and employees are probably not equally waiting in and considering at this stage. First of all, companies, I think I need to say companies are still learning the ropes on that. And the current business model that we have in general, is not built around remote working. A lot of managers I meet, I'm not talking about BBSA in general when I talk to clients, a lot of the managers and directors were not hired, not trained to direct and manage people to work online. And then I also fear that uh, the younger generation, the young employees, probably going to be the one that will suffer the most if we don't get this remote working right. Um, As in my view, learning by shadowing 
seniors is very limited and very unrealistic in a virtual settings. And the last one I really want to mention because um, uh, it's the one that when it happens, uh, everyone is not happy about it, but there are a lot of challenges left unsolved, uh, like security and cyber attacks, work-life balance that uh, seems like it's becoming a problem, and community and team building, data protection, and also there are so many things that uh, companies still need to figure out before we can say that we can really fully work remotely. And again, only, only time we tell. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I wanted to say on that. And now, the last thing I want to say about the positives, because I mentioned enough negatives. Um, I think there is a positive side to the pandemic and what is happening and the remote working. In my view, um, companies finally placed more attention on diversity and fairness. And companies during the pandemic were forced to go beyond their old policies and trying to create a fairer employee experience. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely been positives we've taken out, but it has been a true learning experience. Now, my background is in B2B marketing, and I know historically there's always been this very clear distinction between B2B and B2C strategies, but it seems like those lines are getting a little blurred, right? They're coming more together. What's your view on that? So you're right, first of all, <laughs> just to clarify that. But historically, as you just said, B2B, business to business, and B2C, business to consumer marketing, have been kind of defined as two distinct methodologies used to attract and influence two very different types of decision-making audiences. But more recently, the marketing industry has seen a blurring of these two methodologies as, for example, we witness B2B marketers adopting tactics that, tactics that have been traditionally used in B2C marketing only. In other words, the distinction between B2C and B2B is becoming less important. And here is an example, just to give you one to ground this. Traditionally, B2B buyers, so clients, right, companies in the B2B space, have relied heavily on the salespeople, the sales rep, to get the information they needed and to make an informative decision. But nowadays, companies are increasingly educating themselves online by directly accessing information such as reviews, case studies, and testimonials online. So this ability to this ability to self-educate actually allow clients to be more knowledgeable about a company, its product, the services, even the competition. And all of this before they even talk to a sales rack. So ultimately, um, this 
kind of easy access to online information has shortened, if not disrupted, the linear flow of the traditional B2B buyer journey. And not to mention the role of the B2B person, the B2B sales rep. And this is work in progress. So the more we go, the more we will see things coming together in a way. Yeah, it's definitely just change the whole dynamic and how do we make for effective connection with the uh, purchaser or the decision maker based on the information they have, they've never had access to and more easily to more quality information before. And it just does change that whole dynamic. Now, another thing that is really critical, and I know you um, are also passionate about this, which is, and we, we spoke a little bit about leadership and the responsibility and the role of leaders. And in my recent book, The Impact Makers, I do spend a lot of time focusing on exceptional leadership best practices. What do you see as essential for exceptional leadership? By the way, I read your book then. Um, It's brilliant. It's really um, almost 200 pages of pure joy and a lot of interesting case studies and things to learn. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the the kind words. I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, I totally enjoyed it. That's it's definitely worthwhile um, m- mentioning that at least. So, to your point, uh, I think, uh, and this might sound a bit cheesy, right? But hang in there for a second. So, I-, I think that many people see entrepreneurship and leadership as a ticket to status, wealth, and power in a way. But I always believed in a more humble approach as I, I always married the concept of doing the work. So it's, I have a more servant style of leadership. And if, in my view, if I had to summarize what leadership or the job of a leader, um, in, I think the job of a leader is twofold. And um, first of all, as we said before, The job of the leader is to come up with a vision for the business. And the the vision has to be realistic, (laughs) typical error that I see all the time. It has to be realistic. It has to be energizing and also positive, uplifting, right? And then, as I said before, I think our job is to go around in the company Reminding, go around a lot, reminding people of that vision. And I think this has very little to do with hanging your vision and mission statements on the wall. Although, yeah, it, it does help. But the leader job is then also about hiring people that have matching values um, to the one of the company. And then, above all, helping them on a daily basis, connecting the dots. So they are truly living, breathing, and dreaming the company they're working for, that the company they're working for is built around these core values. So again, to me, it's about going around and remind people why they're coming to work. I love that you bring up the importance of that connection to values you know, through 
through the leadership and, and the reinforcement there because so much effort and focus, of course, is around process optimization and systems, tools. How do we enable teams, giving people resources? Do we have enough staff? But at the end of the day, too, often overlooked is how do we represent and live um, those compelling values that make that company or organization or team very unique and different? So that you call that out, hard to do, but it is uh, when it happens, right? That's when you think about the best times. I even think myself, the best times or situation or teams where we just achieved breakthrough ultimate performance, there is this shared mission, shared values. So it all comes together that way. Yeah, well put. You summarize it very well. Thank you. You you do a lot of advising. You work with a lot of clients, but I want to flip it around, Anna, and ask you, what is the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Um, Well, there are so many, so many to quote, but if probably I have to pick one, um, maybe it's about play by strength and my one of my favorite authors there is a quote from Agatha Christie and when they ask her why she wouldn't write romance novels but just crimes um, she famously replied that one does what one can not what one cannot right and I do believe this is an excellent approach to leading a successful business or a career because playing your strengths and then you just need to play your strengths and then to create a great team that you can outsource the rest to and then the job gets done probably faster and better than if it was was just down to you to do everything yourself. Yeah, powerful words. It's really know yourself and and know those strengths and keep playing those strengths. I love that. And as you know, there's a whole chapter in my book that's devoted on the power of an optimistic mindset. So Anna, when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Well, probably you kind of know me now about everything and I I truly mean it. Um, I mean, while it's true, that we are living in a world of contrast with a lot of positive and negative things happening to people at the same time, I still believe it's down to each one of us to go and seek the positive and the joy in what we do every day. So it's our job. And linking this to marketing, I also believe that marketing, which is my job, is probably, possibly, the most exciting job ever that you can ever get. Um, It's never boring. Um, Always filled with endless opportunities and creativity. So what more can you ask, right? (laughs) It comes to positives. (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe I just like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely um, some really strong foundation to be optimistic about going forward. And it all begins with um, doing something that you love, right? Or being connected with something uh, that you really um, just feel comfortable with. Um, So great 
outlook in terms of um, forward thinking on that. Now, as we start wrapping up the conversation, Anna, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to elevate their marketing performance in their companies? Let's put it in this way. Um, Marketing is complex and it's evolving and you can't do anything about that. So that's the first statement. Um, Just because it's so complex, I think, especially if the leaders are not marketers themselves, I think it's very easy for companies to lose track of what is important to the only thing that matters, which is their clients. And in my view, the best advice is always to put your audiences at the center of what your company does. And this is true whether you are an established global enterprise with millions of employees or just a small business starting up. I think you must get obsessed with your clients and your audiences. Um, well, it's kind of obvious that It's pointless to spend millions of dollars building a product or a service that your clients won't find relevant or interesting. Unfortunately, it's really, this is really a heartbreaking reality of many businesses these days. In my line of work, I see every day that good ideas are never enough never and in my way in my view the question any entrepreneur should ask themselves is really not how great my idea is but rather are there enough clients willing to spend money to buy my product today and and also is your product the product you want to build a real solving a real problem And by that, I mean, by real problem, I mean a problem that people are eager to spend money on. Um, And again, it's heartbreaking, in my view, to see so many talented entrepreneurs getting self-absorbed with an idea and spending way too much time and money to build a product before even checking in if the potential clients want to buy it. So yes, I think my best advice is to build your product around your clients and not around what you like. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It always seems to come back around at the end of the day to understanding customer needs and being focused on the customer. You're just spot on there, Anna. And I really appreciate you coming and sharing your years of experience and perspective on not only exceptional leadership, but effectively outsourcing uh, and also some of those key drivers for successful breakthrough marketing or marketing magic, as we like to call it. Thanks again for joining today. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me. And I hope everyone will also enjoy the Impact Makers, your book, as much as I did. So it was really good. Thank you. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give us the gift of feedback on this podcast. You can go out, rate, and review that on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. 
And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.